Welcome, everybody. It is the JC and Morgan podcast. He's JC Sherbert of 24 7 Sports, the big spur.com, a man of the people, uh, a thespian, uh, a, a, a guy that has more talent than, uh, than meets the eye. Uh, I am merely Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And we are always proud to give you uh, this podcast. So we're a little bit overdue. I, I wanted to let the Brad Nessler podcast sink in. And I know that was one of our uh, most highly downloaded uh, pods. We've had some great guests uh, here lately. You know, Brad Nessler, Josh Paydon before that, Ryan McGee, Danny Cannell, Tony Barnhart. You know, you go back to when uh, COVID was really cranked up and, and the, all the issues that, with that. Tom Luganbill, uh, Andy Staple. Mm-hmm. Phil Steele, Cole Kublik, Chris Doring, Tim Brando was great. That's a heck of a list, Mike. I, I mean, we we really I <laughs> I had to go back and check, like, because it, it it you and I have so many other things going on. I mean, this is obviously not a full time gig for us, but we love doing it. And you folks have been so uh, kind about your comments and feedback on what we're doing here. And we'll have more good guests coming up. We're going to have some assistant coaches coming up soon. Um, but today we're guestless, and that might be a good thing because we've actually got some things to sink our teeth into, JC. And, you know, spring football just came and went. The FCS playoffs are going on. Uh, for years truly, I called the Mississippi State spring game, so I had a chance to go one-on-one with the Pirate, which is always entering another dimension and, uh, and interesting and, and enlightening. And then uh, I called the Gamecock victory. Not the South Carolina Gamecocks, the mm. Jacksonville State Gamecock program with a win over Davidson as that um, that playoff continues. Jacksonville State has turned into a power. If you remember, they beat Ole Miss a few years ago in Oxford in an overtime thrower. They nearly beat a top 10 Auburn team a few years ago, and they should have beaten Florida State this past year. They led the Seminoles at the half because Jacksonville State was one of those few teams that played in the fall and the spring. Mm-hmm. They were like, we don't believe in all your excuses. We're, we're, we're ready to roll here. We're ready to play. That's what we do. Uh, and, and, and surprise, surprise, no one's been in the hospital with COVID at Jacksonville State. Um, they, they, just, they just do what they do. They play ball. I was really impressed with their stadium, the facilities. They, they, Alabama, in terms of football, you I mean, you, you'd expect nothing less, right? Um, but anyway, had a lot of fun doing all that. And Watch some of the spring games. I know you certainly were paying attention, JC, to the South Carolina spring game. We'll get into those specifics. There's an interesting list uh, on SaturdayDownSouth.com ranking the quarterbacks uh, 1 through 14 in the SEC. Obviously, there's plenty of room for debate on that list, and we'll get into that. Um and just whatever I, I the, the 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 overtime change is not huge to me. So you got to go for two one overtime sooner. That's yeah. not that's not exactly um, a radical move on anybody's part. So uh, those are some things we'll get to. It's going to be less than an hour uh, because you and I have got to, some other things to take care of. So let's get right into it. Uh, sure. Things that stood out in your mind over the last uh, couple of weekends since we were on last with uh, Mr. Nessler. Well, you mentioned the the Jacksonville State Jack, uh, Gamecocks. First and foremost, congratulations to Davidson for making the playoffs. Amen, I mean, yeah. Davidson's not a. I mean, we know him for basketball because of the, you know, the Steph Curry played there, and they've always been pretty good at that sport. But football's been a 
a struggle for, for that no, program. Can I just say to add to your, your, your thing? Cause I didn't know this. I'll be honest yeah. with you, JC, when I was assigned the game, mm-hmm. I didn't know Davidson had football. <laughs> um, I I've called Davidson baseball and a super regional. They made, they, they made it, uh, to the supers a few years ago, battled Texas A&M. Uh, obviously we all know basketball cause of Steph Curry, I didn't know they played football, and they'd never been to a playoff. And the last time they were in a postseason game, the 1969 Tangerine Bowl, that, that's back when they were FBS. There was no you know, FCS. Yeah. And, and that team beat William and Mary earlier in the year, coached by one? Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. Ah. See, this is why I love my job, because I, I love little nuggets like that. You know, talking Alabama-Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, like that, that you and I can do in our sleep. It's the other stuff that you stumble across when you're covering this stuff. Uh, and, and the other thing I just wanted to point out before I rudely interrupted you, Davidson has no athletic scholarships. True. Though they're a True football state. team that made the playoff. They play in what's called the Pioneer League, mm-hmm. which goes all the way from Charlotte to San Diego to Indiana and everything in between, and none of those schools offer athletic scholarships. So they're the closest thing to an Ivy League. Uh, so it's a great story that they even made it there. They run the triple option. Uh, the Jacksonville State has athletes that literally could play in the SEC in some cases, and some of them did. Some of them are transfers. Uh, Davidson is is a, are kids that are really good in school and are going to make more money than you and I ever will that happen to be good enough to play football at that level, but they're not quite the same uh, athlete perhaps as you're going to find at some of the powerhouses in FCS. So, yes, sure. Uh, Kudos to you to bringing that up, and kudos to uh, Davidson for a great run uh, under Coach Abel. I'm an old Southern Conference guy growing up in upstate South Carolina where, you know, it used to be that league had Furman, Citadel, App State, uh, who's gone up. Um, at Davidson and VMI used to be kind of the, the, the lower end of the spectrum. Both made the playoffs this spring. Uh, James Madison uh, put VMI out this past weekend in an in-state battle that was really close. Um, and so knowing all that, you know, I, I, it warmed my heart seeing that the two that used to be seller dogs. VMI may be one of the worst jobs right. uh, in, in FCS football. Uh, hats off to Coach Wachenheim that did a good job there. And then I'll say one thing about Jackson, Jacksonville State, and then we'll, we'll get on with it. Uh, the guy that the, the straw that stirs the drink there, really, uh, in recruiting, and you mentioned the transfer market, and they're very big on getting transfers down there and optimizing that is a guy named J.R. Sandlin. Uh, his title's a senior executive head coach, uh, but he's basically the recruiting coordinator. And this guy, if you follow him on Twitter and you love recruiting, He's like a uh, like a, a recruiter for everybody because he's always got great advice for recruits, uh, very personable, you know that kind of guy. And, and certainly, um, you got to give him credit for you know what they've built down there and and how good they've been. Um, I mean, you know, you're, Alabama in general, look across the board at the smaller schools in that state. Sanford's usually pretty competitive. UAB's good. Northern Alabama on the Division II level is good. Uh, South Alabama certainly has some some upside to it. Uh, Troy, obviously, is pretty good. So it's kind of amazing for a state that size population-wise that, you know, not only do you have two great powerhouses in Alabama and Auburn, but, you know, top to bottom, most of the college football programs in that state are pretty good. No question. Um, I've said this a number of times because – 
when people watch FBS schools lose to North Dakota State, when James Madison uh, defeats a uh, Virginia, when when Jacksonville State defeats an Ole Miss, uh, on and on and on. People see FCS and there's a stigma attached. Oh, well, they're not at our level. The fact of the matter is some of the schools partaking in that playoff are better than FBS schools. Mm -hmm. For example, the teams left right now, almost all of them could beat Kansas on a given Saturday. I and think some of, have, yeah. some of them have, actually. Some of them have. You're exactly yeah. right. You're, you're exactly right. Um, so I always say not all FCS schools are built the same. When you look at the schedule, you know, scheduling Western Carolina, as Alabama has done a couple of times, I know this firsthand because I called one of those games, uh, that is a layup. If you schedule Jack State, North Dakota State, uh, James Madison, that is not a layup. So the, the smart coaches, when they do go the FCS route, they find one they know for a fact they can handle without breaking a sweat. The other ones just say, yeah, give us the best FCS program, and then you wind up losing your job. So <laughs> that's how it is. That's part of, it, part of surviving as a head coach is, is knowing how to schedule. And, and you know, what I worry about, and Cole Kublik and I got into this on the broadcast I worry that fewer and fewer FCS teams are going to get those, you know, those buy-in games, paycheck games. Mm -hmm. And I really wonder, and we talked about this because the game wound up being a blowout in the fourth quarter. I love spring football. I love it. Um, Quite frankly, I'd rather have spring college football at the FCS level than some ragtag WWF version of spring pro football, which never seems to work. So, we brought up the question, why not do this? And people say, well, it didn't exactly take the world by storm. Well, we didn't have any, this was a one-off because of COVID. So you didn't have like, like I picture a TV executive, if they knew this was a possibility saying we will do an FCS double header of the week, every Saturday on linear television. Okay. Whether mm-hmm. it's ESPN, whether it's Fox, somebody, and then we'll do every playoff game on on linear television and it'll be a thing in the spring so people like us that want to have football in the spring we can do it and you can have i think cole cued at his uh he called it you can have your mistress program right so like alabama well, there's a lot of alabama fans that are jacksonville state grads so you could you could pull for both mm-hmm. pull for alabama in the fall you can pull for jack state in the spring if you're a south carolina or clemson fan you can pull for your Gamecocks and Tigers in the fall, and then you can pull for your Furman Paladins, your Citadel Bulldogs in the spring. I think it can work. The problem is the northern schools, it is a non-starter. It is a no-go. Yeah. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. I think the southern schools would listen, but like we've learned so much with the politics of everything that affects sports now, geography is a huge factor in all these decisions. Well, and you got a power center now you know, on the FCS level in the Northwest, like the the Dakotas over toward Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, Montana obviously has a great tradition. Uh, the Dakota schools, South Dakota, North Dakota, North, all those schools are really pretty good in football. Uh, and and Mike, you know, we've talked many times, you know, uh, since you know I, I, I live some in Chicago about that. There's cold. And then there's Chicago cold. <laughs> well, right. well, brother, there's cold, and then there's Dakota and Montana cold yep. in the winter. 
And that just, uh, that would be tough. I mean, I, and, and so, so I'm with them a little bit now. Some of those schools have indoor stadiums, um, but, uh, but not you all. know, I, I think, I think you're right. I, I think it would be a good product, um, you know, and, and I think what people can, can learn from this too is, you know, I, I think college football, we talk about it being a brand unto itself with all the NIL talk and, and things like that. And, you know, I, I think on this show, we, we've talked many times about, hey, look, the, the, the name on the front of the jersey is important in terms of branding as well, because people will watch it no matter what the players are. And, and I think the success that the FCS schools had as a television product this past spring shows you that. I think people just love college football, no matter who's playing, and uh, and, and so people sh- should probably take heed to that. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. It, it it could work if it were certain programs, but and then you get into the whole NFL draft thing. You get into this whole transfer rule thing now. You, you're going to have players leaving FCS programs in droves. I mean, it, it, it's it's gonna it, it would be sort of interesting and sort of another obstacle. I think mm-hmm. if they implemented it now, but certainly down the road. Uh, as we evolve here in college football, um, you never know. You, you never know. And, and it was uh, it was a good thing to see this year. These guys get a successful season off and, and to have the interest generated for these schools because these guys work just as hard, you know, and, no uh, and and their fan bases are small, but they have just as much passion and things like that. So that not only do they work just as hard, uh, there's not the sense of entitlement that we're getting now. You know, what do we constantly hear with many of today's FBS athletes? Oh, we're, we're getting a raw deal. You know, we're only yeah. getting $80,000 worth of all our expenses paid and everything taken care of. And we take our Pell Grant money. We send it back to our family. We take our cost of attendance money. We send it back to our family. But we can't afford a pizza. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's we. that's what you're getting with a lot today. And, and, and unfortunately, some really good kids are just being told to think that way and they're impressionable just like as we all were when we were 19, 20 years old. And so they, well, this guy's, this guy here uh, is telling me I'm a victim of a terrible oppressive system. So I must be, Uh, you don't have that at the SCS level because these kids kind of like I always talk about last chance you um, yeah, it's a train wreck show at times, but it just shows you these kids would do anything just to get a scholarship anywhere like that is their lottery ticket they're not worried about get you know nil and getting endorsement <laughs> they just want to be able to play football and go to college for free uh, that's what you have at the fcs level it's just uh and, and they they blood sweat and tears they work every bit as hard you're absolutely right um one thing before we get into spring football i'll just say the ultimate big nothing burger story that is circulating, and I guess if, if other podcasts might spend 30 minutes on this, I don't think we need to. And that is the the committee meeting about expanding the playoff. Look, there are five more years left on this deal. And I didn't hear anything in all the rhetoric and all the, conf- the, the, the quotes saying, well, uh, after further review – Eight's the number, and we're just going to go ahead and implement it next year. Not happening. And so if you're telling me it's going to expand to eight in five years, I'm going to tell you, well, I already knew that. So this is not news to me. We are going to expand. Uh, it is going to be, I think, eight. Some would say it'll be a different number. But if it's going to happen five years from now, forgive me for not getting overjoyed in April of 2021. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not doing going this year. And, you know, Hancock was even quoted as saying not in 2022 either. Um, and, and, you know, things move at a glacial pace in the sport, like you said. Um, uh, but people are going to write a lot of articles about it because they want to speculate. And, and there is a push, and we've talked about it here, with uh, uh, for playoff expansion just because – for certain fan bases, it's gotten stale. Um, for certain fan bases, a, a smaller number, it's the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, if you're a Clemson fan, you've basically seen the entire country, <laughs> you know, the past few years and, and followed your Tigers. I mean, if you're a Georgia fan, even though you've been disappointed, I mean, that 2017 season, you got to see the dogs play in South Bend, Indiana. You got to see them go to the Rose Bowl and then play for a national championship in Atlanta against your border rival. I mean, what, what, those are the memories of a lifetime. Uh, but for, you know, certain fan bases, you know, Florida's an example. Um, Auburn could be an example of it. Uh, you know, your schools that, you know, in previous years have kind of been in the mix if things go their way. Uh, I understand that they feel kind of like, wow, you know, we can, we can get to eight, eighth in the country but it's hard for us to get to four because we're in a division with Alabama and then by goodness gracious, LSU, you know, pops up every now and then and you got Texas A&M on the rise. And, you know, that that's the tough part about it. And, uh, and I also think if you're looking to expand interest, um, you go to eight or even 16 and you do automatic bids for the five power five leagues, then all of a sudden those championship games, instead of it being okay, well, Virginia, you know, if they beat Clemson here and ups, pull the upset of a lifetime, instead of them just going to the Orange Bowl, you know, and then their players are going to opt out or whatever, you know, Virginia ends up going to the uh, the playoff. And, and, and I think when you attach that type of meeting to winning divisions, I think that's a good thing because when you expand it beyond the scope of the conference champions and you look at the teams that, that have been included in these conference championship games where – even if they win, they're not going to the playoff. I mean, you're, you're talking about a Baylor having a shot at a playoff, a Pittsburgh having a shot at a playoff, a Northwestern having a shot at a playoff, a Colorado having a shot at the playoff. Um, and I think that does expand. It expands the excitement. They may never win those conference championship games, but if you make it a de facto play-in game, the stakes are a little bit higher, you know. Um, and, and, and so we'll see. Now there's rarely an upset, you know, Baylor – can play very, very hard against Oklahoma, and, and Oklahoma still beats them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. TCU, same way. But um, still just having a chance, I think, that exp- that allows you to expand it uh, to other fan bases to where at least there's interest. You know, hey, we lost to Alabama in the SEC, but we were kind of – you know, we were still kind of de facto in the playoff because we had a shot to get there and play our way in. Right. And I, I, I always talk about the importance of geographical relevance in the sport. Uh, you know, you and I are, are, are Southeastern guys, so we don't mind two of the three premier programs being in the Southeast. Right. But if you want and this, this goes for anything, it's not just college football. If you want the best of all worlds, which obviously the people that are writing these checks do, uh, you want people to 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 give a you know what mm-hmm. left of left of Texas, yeah. you know you 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 want you want people engaged in Big Twelve territory, Big Ten territory. So the the desire to have that is obvious. Uh, I've I've never had a problem with the five conference champions getting a bid. It takes some of the 
the senseless, uh, tiresome debate uh, over which conference deserves this and, and how do we, what data points do we have to measure uh, this conference versus that conference? Just get, get the five champions in and then we'll figure out the other three as time moves along. Uh, somebody asked me on a, a show this morning, do you think if they expand, does that mean they get rid of the conference championship games? And the answer is hell no. It's too much money. Mm-hmm. Too much. The, the SEC championship game I don't know if people truly, even SEC fans, truly realize how successful that is in terms of it is sold out before you even know the matchup. The television ratings are insane. The revenues are insane. That, that, that game is never going anywhere. And you say, well, what about the other ones? Yeah, they don't do nearly as well, but they still do okay. Even if you see an ACC championship game that's, that's in a stadium that's half empty, the, the TV check has already been cut. The sponsorship deals have already been signed. So they're not going anywhere. Uh, and I, here's the one thing I will say. I have never in my time on this earth heard a college football fan say, you know what? I love it. I just can't wait for it to come every fall. I just wish we had fewer games. I just, if we could just cut a couple games out. So I don't even think there's a move to go from 12 to 11. Well, these kids can't play 16 games. Yeah, they can. And there's only two teams that would play an extra uh, game. Yeah. To 16. And I, I mean, I don't know. JC, Alabama plays 15 every year. Do, do they look really overly tired to you no. once they get there? Is their NFL careers hampered by the fact that they play that 15th game every year? They, they seem to go on a pretty good professional career. Derrick Henry, never heard Derrick Henry after he rushes for 2,000 yards and trucks defenders on the reg uh, ever says, you know, I, <laughs> I'd be a much more effective player if they'd scale back the college football season. No. So I, I mean, there's no reason yeah. why we can't do it. I could see them going back to 11 regular season games if they expanded it and then maybe expanding the bowls uh, because the bowls are going to lose a lot of – and I think the bowls will be included in the 16-team playoff. Right. Don't get me wrong, and they'll expand that. Did you I, say I, 16 or 8? If you go to 16, I think – Oh, you going, said 16. Okay. Well, it, now, eight's different. Eight's different. I think but, it's going to be eight. And I think, too, with last year, what we saw with the Bulls where everybody was eligible, um, and, and you can argue whether or not that's a good thing or not, but, I mean, you can ask Mississippi State where you were just at. I think that bowl game uh, – it, it ended in an unfortunate manner, but <laughs> I, think that, I think that that gave them a little boost, you know, for, for the season. They were three and seven, okay? Right. Um, so I think I think what we'll see is you know th- these bowl eligibility marks, you know, people just call it like it is. It's a scrimmage. It's basically mm-hmm. a, a feel good thing at the end of the year because you're going to have a lot of players opting out. And I think to save the bowls, you're going to have to to have to do that because I I still maintain and, and you've always been right about this. We're going to watch SMU in Florida Atlantic or you know Colorado State and Troy. Um, you know, we're going to watch those games regardless because it's during the holidays and it's college football. But mm-hmm. I think you'd get a much bigger audience, even if it's like a two and eight Tennessee against a five and five UAB. I think right. more people are going to tune in. And that's just oh, yeah. the power of branding and all that. Sure. Um, and then maybe we can get a group of five playoff, maybe not. But uh, uh, so, so I think I think if it goes to 16, that you're probably going to see 11 regular season games. If not, Things just stay how they are, and you just add an extra round. And I don't know that anybody's going to really complain about about playing, you know, one extra football game, especially, no. you know, if you're out. Because, look, until things change, the same teams are going to be 
the winners. You, you're going to have the occasional upset, right, in an 18 playoff. But, you know, they're, they're even talking about it. You know, one of the models is, and I don't know what they'll do with this or not, campus sites. You know, Stephen, number eight goes to Tuscaloosa or Clemson for the first round. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, you're, you're, if you're Coastal Carolina last year, you're not going into Alabama and beating them. I, I know that you think you may, but it's not even going to be close. And um, so, so the same teams are going to be successful. It's just going to be a more of a matter of interest and access and, and, and people having a chance. And then, you know, hey, when you get in a one-game scenario, anything can happen. Uh, so there is a little more excitement. But uh, I think that uh, – you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you're going to see a lot of, of blowouts in the first round, just like you did before. I, I think the only wild card to all this, because it, it as I've said a number of times, I, I really don't think this is that complicated. You know, for years and years, we were told how we, we couldn't even make a 14 playoff uh, work because it's so complicated and the logistics and this. Well, you know what? That when it came time, take, when it came time to make it happen, they made it happen. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really was rather seamless i mean you can argue that you know it hasn't been the great success everybody wants because it's the same four or five teams and that's a whole other discussion it'd be the same four or five teams no matter what system we have that i mean if you brought the bcs back which is just an inept um article written by people trying to be contrarians uh well the bcs was better if we had the bcs we wouldn't have it yes you would it would just be alabama and clemson in the one versus two game or maybe one year it'd be Ohio State versus Alabama in the one versus two game. That that wouldn't be that wouldn't improve college football. Um, but the to me the only thing that's left to debate is: Do you take the group the top group five team and give them a bid, or do you just make it the five conference champs and three true wild cards? And if you yes. make it three true wild cards, then the group five is going to be shut out more years than not, and then that definitely. At that point, it's it demands a Group Five playoff, which much like we were talking about with FCS football in the spring, a Group Five playoff. If you if you package it right, uh, you get a TV network to buy it. Uh, it's exciting. It's as I've said a number of times, Group Five is the modern day one AA football. It just is. Because mm-hmm. if you've called games on a Group Five campus, as I have many times, and you compare it to the other Power Five programs that we get to go to and call games, it is night and day. It's a different classification of football. So why not try to put more money in their coffers and give them a chance to actually play for a championship as opposed to being fodder for the Power Five, which in a lot of cases, that's what it winds up being. Yeah, and you mentioned, and we mentioned the bowls earlier. So many of these bowls, too, are G5 versus G5 matchups. So, so why not give them some meaning? I mean, I, you know, I, I think because there's going to be a push to want to save the bowls to a certain extent. And so, mm-hmm. so why not do that? But, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're definitely on the same page on that, my friend. We will uh, be on, on similar pages, perhaps, on the spring football notebook. We'll break that down here in just a second as J.C. and Morgan rolls on. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. 
Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. All right, so spring football came and went. It was different than normal. First of all, Florida and Kentucky didn't even have spring games. Uh, And most of the games in the SEC were not on linear television. Uh, They were on the app, Um, the Alabama being the lone exception. I I don't know what the breakdown is in the ACC, uh, JC. That's a lot of C's in one sentence. Um, but it seemed a, a lot of them were on the ACC network. Obviously that network needs some programming. A lot of them were not. And then big 12, I think most were not televised. I don't think Fox even televises most spring football games for their uh, big 10 and pack. Well, I shouldn't say that because they are part owner of the big 10 network and I'm sure the big 10 network had yeah. more than its fair share of spring games. Uh, but the point being, uh, there was, um, it was just different this year. Uh, like everything else in the, in the year of COVID, uh, it, it was just different overall. But that being said, uh, we did have some spring games. And, um, you know, I mentioned I was in Starkville where the, the biggest story coming out of that was that your, your number two quarterback, Jack Abraham, who's not your mm-hmm. typical number two quarterback. He was a three-year starter at Southern Miss. Uh, he played better than Will Rogers. I still think Will Rogers wins that job. And I still think Mississippi State is going to be better this year than they were a year ago. Um, you had South Carolina, obviously a new coach there, a, a new regime. I uh, want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, Georgia's uh, a lot of buzz here in, in Atlanta about Georgia spring game. Georgia's the, I, I think they're going to be almost unanimous to pick the East, yeah. uh, to win the East. Um, they have a, a 280 pound tight end that everybody's talking about. As a kid from Vegas, he's really good. Yeah, how many stars was he? I'm guessing he was a five. He was a he was a he's a, he's one of those kids where you know Georgia Georgia over the years has been able to go way out of region and get tight ends. They 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 do a really good job historically with those guys. And this kid, he's one of those Vegas kids. You know that every every few years you have an absolute freak comes out of Las Vegas uh, and he's one of the and Georgia won the recruiting battle for him um, and uh, he had Darnell Washington's his name and he had some some really good moments I, I you know I watched the Peach Bowl start to finish and while that was a closer game than Georgia fans would have liked uh, you know he had some moments where you went oh my god um, and he's almost 6'8 280 and, yeah he's and, a know, freak he, you talk, he, he's like, if, he's kind of built like Zion Williams. <laughs> you know, he kind of reminds me of that. Um, and, and, you know, you, Georgia's really excited about their offense this year, and rightfully so. 
Um, I think the big question there is going to be defense, but I mean, I have a, a and the secondary has some questions, but um, you know, I, I think they have to be the unanimous pick in the East because you know I'm looking at this quarterback list of, of potential starters, Mike, and it's just it, it there's not there's not many better than JT Daniels coming back, mm-hmm. um, and there are some serious question marks I think uh, for most teams in the Southeastern Conference's Eastern Division, including Florida. Uh, to where it, it just may be one of those years where uh, the dogs roll over everybody yet again, like they have been doing. I mean, last year was sort of a, a different type of deal where they lost the Florida game. But before that, they rarely lost a division game. And I, I kind of see that same scenario uh, in place with them this year within the division. There are only, in, in the uh, list you referenced, Connor O'Gara, our, our friends there, Sari down south, um, Look, wiss or wiss, I rarely agree with them, but I, yeah. that's okay. I rarely agree with polls. I still read them. Um, so it, it it is interesting to see who he's got. One through 14, he ranked the, the quarterback spot. I would say this before we get into specific rankings. This year in the SEC is odd in that – now I'm going to disagree with him on a couple of spots here, but Matt Corral, who he has at number one, everybody's on board. I mean, Lane Kiffin basically transformed that kid's career. He was probably on the verge of transferring because he was going to be running number two to, to Plumlee, the, the better runner. Yeah, had Rich Rod stayed, yeah. Yeah, if had Rich Rod stayed and, and – and, or maybe even if they um, – well, I was going to say if they kept Matt Luke, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, and some people, you know, you hear this all the time. you got to be dynamic in today's day and age of football, and you don't. Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl. He's not dynamic. Mac Jones just won a <laughs> national championship for Alabama. He's not dynamic. I mean, I can go on and on and on. People have been telling you that lie now for years because that's the way they want to see football be played. Mm-hmm. I love athletic quarterbacks next as much as the next guy. John Elway was one of my favorite players. He was dynamic. But you don't have to be a guy that runs all over the place to be really good at that position at any level. If you can make accurate throws and read defenses, you can be a hell of a quarterback without running a four, four, but, and Matt Corral, uh, even though he is a little bit mobile, he can run, but his main thing is he can throw. I mean, he can thread the needle and he was terrific last year for Ole Miss. Corral night and day better too, Mike. Night and day day better. better. Absolutely. Absolutely. JT Daniels of Georgia. I think everybody feels pretty good about that. Um, and then I would go all the way down to his number eight. I'm higher on this kid than he is for sure. I think Connor Basil acts the third best. Let me put it this way. He is the, the, the third most dependable quarterback on this list today. It's not to say he's the most gifted. There are some kids like a Bryce Young of Alabama that might, might live up to the hype and be the top dog in the SEC. But we don't know yet what we're dealing with with Bryce Young. I know what I've got in Corral, Daniels, and Basilak. Then you've got Bryce Young, three, uh, Brennan, four, Emory Jones, five, Haynes King of A&M, six, K.J. Jefferson, who certainly looks the part, seven of Arkansas, Basilak of Mizzou, eight. Again, I would have him higher. Uh, Bo Nix, always polarizing Bo Nix, number nine at Auburn. Uh, Hendon Hooker of Tennessee. If you're not familiar with uh, Mr. Hooker, he's a transfer from Virginia Tech. And uh, Will Rogers, who we talked about, uh, Mississippi State 11. 
Ken Seals. I like Ken Seals at Vanderbilt. If you, if you put Ken Seals on a on a more loaded roster than than Vanderbilt, Ken Seals can play. Uh, Luke Doty, who you just saw, JC, and we'll get into that. South Carolina at number thirteen, and Bo Allen, Bo Allen, number fourteen for Kentucky. <laughs> There's two there's guys a, named Bo. It's an SEC, man. Yeah, man, um, you got to love a guy named Bo. Yeah, but uh, there's another Bo Allen that was a nose tackle for the uh, Buccaneers for a while that looks like a nice professional pull. wrestler. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, and then look, we don't – We Kentucky didn't have a spring game. They've got a brand-new offense this year. They're going more with a uh, – the guy they got is from the Rams, their offensive uh, – Offensive coordinator Liam Liam Cohn. Yep, they're going in a different direction than, than what Eddie Grant. I thought Eddie Grant did a good job there, but uh, I was surprised they got rid of him. I, I just think that that Mark Stoops kind of recognized that the game's kind of changing, and you know if Kentucky's ever going to take that next step, Mike, you know they've yeah. got a good defense. They're probably going to have to manufacture some points, and if you kind of look at it, that you know everybody wants to be uh, Joe Brady, you know these days. Uh, from LSU and, and you know, get ideas from the NFL. Because I think, quite frankly, the NFL has been more innovative in the last five years for the first time in our lives uh, than college. But, you know, I, I, I look at it, and, and and so we don't know what Bo Allen is going to be. It's pretty, probably going to be better than 14th. I'm with you on Ken Seals. I've talked to some people around Vanderbilt's program. They love that kid. Mm-hmm. They loved him last year. I mean, yeah. it, and, and I think with a new staff and a year under his belt, he's going to be good. Uh Will Rogers is interesting to me because I know the kid from Southern Miss out, you know, probably outplayed him in the spring game. And that's going to, that's going to, I mean, Mike Leach isn't going to be afraid to change quarterbacks, but I thought Will Rogers really stabilized that offense last year. He did. When he took over, uh, you know, and, and did a really good job. Bo Nix is very polarizing. I, I agree completely on Basilak. I, I think that guy, was a big difference maker for Missouri last year on offense. And and the word you used was steady and mm-hmm. dependable. And that's exactly what he is. Uh, you know, he may not go out there and, uh, you know, light it up and you go, wow, look at all these throws. But he ain't going to go out there and uh, throw four picks and, 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 you know, fumble the ball <laughs> and all that stuff. He's very dependable and I think a good quarterback. And, and um, you know, I'm with you on that. Haynes King is a mystery to me, but he was very highly touted as a recruit. Obviously, with Emory Jones, Florida's going to run something completely different than what they did with Kyle Trask. Um, I love Bryce Young, and I'll call it right now. I think by the time it's all over this year, Mike, you're going to see that kid up at number one. I, I, yeah. I just talking to people around Alabama. I mean, I, they're almost beside themselves that they've. And there's nothing lucky about Alabama, but. I mean, you go back, you know, they really hit on Mac Jones as an evaluation. And then Bryce Young obviously was highly touted. But from what I've heard, he's everything they expect him to be. Uh, and they're really excited about his potential this year. So right. that could – he may end up being number one after all. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. But, um, yeah, Corral and Daniels uh, – because you, you can't just go Bryce Young because of the hype or whatever he hadn't played. Um, so, so to me, you look at it, and Corral and Daniels are really the only kind of proven type guys completely, um, you know, for one reason or another. Um, and, and so my question is, are we looking at a year like 2016 when, you know, the SEC was down a little bit? 
because they yeah. had to start all these new quarterbacks and stuff yep. like that. And the and I don't know what's coming back in the ACC as far as uh, quarterbacks go, but you know that year the ACC was probably a little better because of the right. quarterback depth. You had Trubisky, Watson, mm-hmm. um, you know Lamar Jackson, all those guys. Uh, and so, the, so that's my question. Uh, you know, my guess is some of these guys are going to end up being really good and better than these rankings are, um, and that's just how it is. Uh, but, the, you know, it is surprising when you kind of look at, at it one through 14, the lack of, of names now. And and because some names that we have been accustomed to are now gone. Well, your point on Bryce Young is well taken. Look, he's he's a physical freak. He was five star for a reason. And you're playing with Alabama. So you're going to be you're going to have the arsenal that 99 percent of the other programs playing college football aren't going to have. So by the end of the year, if Bryce Young is is your number one rated passer, uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. It just wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, if you're if you're everybody else in the SEC, you're just hoping upon all hope that the kid uh, is overwhelmed by the moment and he struggles <laughs> to read defenses and he just he becomes turnover prone and that gives you a little bit of a, a peak of the the window opening. But out, uh, short of that, you know, everybody's going to be picking Alabama to win the West. And and possibly win the whole thing again. The, the the two X factor guys staying in the West, you know, Miles Brennan at LSU. Does he does he take uh, the, the next step? And then you mentioned Haynes King at Texas A and M. Keep in mind, I I thought you could have made an argument A and M had the best offensive line in college football last year, and that's even including Alabama. You know, the, the two were neck and neck. They lost four of those guys. And they had they were mauling people on the line. They were absolutely uh, taking nothing away from Kellen Mond, who is a great young man. He's going to be a high draft pick, gifted. But he had a a nice luxury of an NFL tight end, two incredibly uh, good and versatile running backs, and an offensive line that just dominated more times than not. Uh, and so now you take that away and you insert Haynes King, who was kind of an uneven year at Virginia Tech. Now everybody's talking about Texas A&M making the next level. And, and I was just making the point on on a show yesterday how I, th- I think they're on the most solid footing they've been on in a while. Like, like they might not want to hear this because, you know, like most fans, particularly in the SEC, they're impatient and they – they, they, Jimbo Fisher is always going to be attached to that number, right? 75 million, 75 million. Okay. Yeah. They're not, they're not in Alabama's class yet. And you, you got a couple of blowouts to back that up, but they're not going anywhere. I, I mean, I think their, their low mark is going to be what you, what you just saw, um, last year you know maybe maybe one fewer win like that but they're they're going to be right up there there's going to be alabama and then the days of the kevin sumlin slash oh gosh how far back do you want to go i guess we can go pre-sec yeah where a&m like struggled to win eight games sometimes or they were just getting thwacked by teams they just should not have been blown out but those days are done I think Jimbo is a stabilizing force for that program where even if they don't become Alabama, they're just going to be really good every year. I, I think A&M is, is reaching that point. Um, but Haynes King's going to have some challenges now that, that, that Kellen Mond perhaps didn't have to that level. Mm-hmm. The other one is Emory Jones. And this is why to me, it's so easy to pick um, Georgia is that 
they didn't just lose Kyle Trask. They lost a generational tight end in Pitts, and they lost an incredibly underrated weapon that's going to be drafted highly in Kadarius Toney. Florida doesn't have that this year. They got they got some guys. They got some guys, but they don't have those dudes. And and Emory Jones, he has been. You know, Dan Mullen would always find a way to insert him into games and in drives, but nothing that you've seen yet has proven that he's ready to put together a top-rated offense like you saw last year in Gainesville. So to to your point, that is why this year has the potential to be off from the quarterback spot in the SEC. There's just so many unproven commodities, guys with a lot of stars next to their name in recruiting in the recruiting process, but guys that haven't been there done that. Uh, and that certainly could cause some, some angst for a number of teams in this league that are not named Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss. Yeah. Here's what's going to be interesting uh, about Alabama. You mentioned, and you mentioned A&M, you know, here's four of their first six games. Okay. They play Miami and don't knock it. Miami's got a lot of talented transfers. They got De'Aaron King back. And then the Garcia kid they brought in, they think is one of the best quarterbacks they've ever had. So Manny Diaz has got a quarterback now. I think they, they make sense on offense now. Uh, and the transfer talent they brought in, along with the talent they already have, they, they could conceivably make that a close game. Then Mercer comes in. Then they go at Florida. So while, while I believe Alabama will go in there and win it pretty convincingly, that's still a challenge. Then they got Southern Miss. Then Ole Miss comes to Bryant-Denny. And then they go at AM. So four of their first six games are kind of tricky. Really five of the first seven, because after they go to AM, they go to Starkville. Um, and, and we know that at least according to the ESPN FPI, Mississippi State returns a lot. So that's going to be interesting about Bama and Bryce Young specifically, is these first seven games, they get through them. Um, you know, it's potentially I don't know that anything's going to be as special as what they did last year during a COVID year with an all SEC schedule, but it's potentially another special year in Tuscaloosa just because it's not the cakewalk that we see sometimes out of Alabama's schedule at the beginning. No question. No question. Um, Is there a quarterback on that list before we press on that maybe we're not talking enough about that that has a chance to really be an impactful guy this year. Oh, you nailed it with Basilak, and I was yeah. I was you know, and, and and I know these rankings are all subjective and all that, but I sort of thought he'd be a lot higher just because of the difference he made last year. You know, they started out with Sean Robinson, uh, you know, the TCU transfer as their quarterback, and Basilak comes in, and he's the one that led him to that win over LSU, and. You know, now everybody's talking Missouri up this offseason. That may be a bad thing because usually the team in the East that gets talked up, not named Florida or Georgia over the over the offseason, ends up face planting. You know, Tennessee was supposed to be that team last year, and they, you know, we saw what happened. So um, maybe that's not a good thing. But I, I think him definitely. Um, and, and look, I'd keep an eye on KJ Jefferson at Arkansas too, just because. I think physically he's got a lot of ability, you know. Yeah, and he's got he's got Traylon Burks. Now they they lost Mike Woods and yeah. it, which kind of came out of left field, but uh Traylon Burks is special and yeah, I think KJ Jefferson could be a wild card in this league this year, no doubt. Yeah, and they got uh Kendall Browse dialing up the plays and I, I mm-hmm. really like his system in that offense. So that's uh definitely one to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, and I'll just go back, and I'm not just saying this because I worked the spring game. Uh, I, I realize Abraham outplayed Will Rogers. Keep keep this in mind as you watch spring games in the future. Uh, as the head coach who's organizing these things, you can tilt the scale any direction you want. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to make somebody shine on a spring game, you surround him with the best talent, and you and you and you can you can fix the other side. So in other words, you could have ones versus twos. What Mike Leach did, he tried to make it like a true game. He split it up. So you only had two or three of your best offensive linemen with Will Rogers, who was pressured the entire game. You only had one of the top running backs. You only had one of the top receivers. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Will Rogers, like I'm down on Will Rogers. You hit on the key point. If you look back last year at the end of of the season, the bowl game – the, the the egg bowl which they which he set a, a mississippi state old egg bowl record uh they lost at georgia by seven points late in the year well rogers played well in that game you look at the last five games as a true freshman by the way he played for uh, an offensive coordinator in high school who happened to be his father and ran a very similar offense to the air raid i think will rogers this year under Mike Leach in year two has a chance to put up some pretty gaudy numbers. So I would just throw that out there. Everybody's kind of like cooled off on him since the spring game was not impressive, but the spring games can be very, very misleading. And with that in mind, you, I know, had a magnifying glass on the spring game at williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia. And I want to get your thoughts on that. I do want to mention first, Stuart Wingo, Ameris Mortgage. A number of you have already taken advantage of this. That makes me happy because I like when people get to save money. Makes Stuart Wingo happy because he loves your business. And I think it's just better for the overall morale of the country. I don't think I'm overstating things there. Give Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage a call, 803-319-1777. That is his cell number. You're not going to be like a secretary who's going to direct you to somebody else, going to direct you to somebody else. And he's not going to like talk over your head and just be – He's, he puts it in a way that you can understand why it's the best move for you. And then the results are what they are. I've used him four times over the years. And every time he saves me much more money than the other guy was going to. Uh, that's, that's the extent of my loyalty. It's all about the pocketbook. Stuart Wingo, Ameris Mortgage, do what other people have been doing for a while now. No matter what state you're in, he can take care of you. 803-319-1777. Tell him Mike and JC sent you. All right, JC. Doty. Beamer, Cox, what do you got? Well, you know, it's it's hard to tell. You know, they only they had a lot of guys that were out with nagging sort of injuries, and you never want to play somebody in a spring game if it's, you know, if there's a chance they could further injure themselves, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that South Carolina, when you just look at it from a personnel standpoint, I think they look like an SEC team on the offensive line. It's probably one of the best offensive lines ever at South Carolina, just to be honest. Uh, that's a position, obviously, it's really struggled going back to the Spurrier era. Um, and, and, you know, South Carolina's third-team running back, Zaquandre Wyatt, was able to, you know, run pretty well uh, against the Gamecock defense, which was not allowed to twist or stun or anything like that. Um, I, I think if there's a problem area, it, it's going to be playmakers at wide receiver. That's the bad news. The good news is mm-hmm. – they have a guy at tight end and EJ Jenkins that's essentially a six foot seven wide receiver um, that, that is coming in from St. Francis of all places, Mike. But, you know, and, and the concern there is can you make the adjustment to the speed of, of this level? He looked like he, you know, he belonged. 
Um, and so if that guy can step up, they've got some other guys that can step up. Luke Doty, obviously, um, you know, he's five for seven on the day. But, you know, they didn't call a lot of downfield passes. I think they called one for him. Uh, a lot of short stuff. Uh, offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield, who I think is going to do a good job, kind of kept it uh, vanilla. And, and so it's hard to tell. But, you know, hey, and they couldn't throw the ball down the field well last year. So um, if if uh, they aren't able to do it this year, you know, until they're able to do it is what I'm saying, that's going to be a concern at South Carolina. But obviously I, I think with, with Kevin Harris coming back, with Marshawn Lloyd, a five-star back, coming back off injury was Zaquandre White, the third-teamer who performed on Saturday. The run game and the tight ends and sort of that setup, along with the offensive line, uh, is going to be better, and it was pretty good last year. So we'll see uh, We'll see what happens, uh, you know. And don't forget, those of you that are hating on Luke Doty, Luke Doty can run a little bit too. And Shane Beamer was uh, adamant that, that he can throw it pretty well and that he also – uh, they can also use him a little bit like they use Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. I remember Jalen Hurts was a guy mm-hmm. that put up a lot of numbers, but wasn't necessarily this, you know, he wasn't Kyler Murray throwing the football. How about that? So right. that's that's the deal with the Gamecocks. I, I With the way the East is shaping up and the league and so many question marks at, at, at a lot of teams, and Matt Stenskin mentioned this on the broadcast of the spring game, the East is a bit turbulent this year. So, just about any of these guys could end up, you know, having a year where they surprisingly win six or seven games. And I think that'd be a great start to the Beamer era. Going back to Doty and I had him late. And of course that was that game I called. So South Carolina, Mizzou it came at a weird time because that was right around the time where all the guys opted out horn. And uh, who was the other DB that uh, thinks he's going to be a high draft pick, but might be disappointed. Six, Mukwamu, six, Mukwamu. Mukwamu. He opts out. Um, and, and, you know, there was just kind of a malaise, if you will, over that season. You, you just, Will Muschamp had already been fired. Mike Bobo was the coach. I could tell just speaking to Mike Bobo that he was not there for the long run. I don't care who was getting hired or whatnot. I always felt like Mike Bobo and the guy that I happened to be working with on that game was a former Georgia quarterback who played with Mike Bobo. He didn't think Mike Bobo was going to be back. Uh, so the moment Mike Bobo had an opportunity to go elsewhere, he did, as we know. But it, it was just kind of like, okay, does, does, does South Carolina even even want to play this game? Just just want to get the season over with. And Doty played his ass off. Um, was he great? No. But when he came in that game, he played his butt off. And so that told me something right away about what what what's it with the ticker and you know with his head. Um, you, know, you you made an analogy to Hertz. I would go even a, maybe a step lower, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Kelly Bryant, before he lost the job to Trevor Lawrence, was a kid that was athletic. He just wasn't a great passer, and he proved that when he went to Missouri. He just wasn't mm-hmm. a great passer. And maybe at, at, at worst, Luke Doty is not a great passer, but he can run like a Kelly Bryant did. And he can make just enough throws on third down to move the chains. And then if you ground and pound, like you said, good offensive line, if not great offensive line, uh, great stable of backs, then that can work. You know, there, there's still there, there's still uh, places where that can work. So, uh, interesting take. Uh, I know we're we're we're, we're wrapping. We're gonna have to wrap up here in a second. But sure. did they did they do ones versus twos or how did they split it up? It was ones versus ones, then twos versus twos. They were gonna do a game, you know, like Spurrier used to do. Obviously, Beamer 
coached under Spurrier there. But they, they just honestly, Mike, 25% of the roster, including some guys that will probably be starters, were out. We so, didn't play, yeah. So they didn't play. So a lot of walk-ons got some time. That's why, you know, because they do have a backup quarterback named Jason Brown who came in and threw some dimes. I mean, he's a tr- another transfer from St. Francis, of all places. Nice. Um, And looked good. But, but man, it was against walk-ons, and two of the passes were to Jenkins, who – it was his teammate at St. Francis and right. his high school teammate. So, so we'll see, but uh, I think you hit the nail on the head about Doty. And um, I, I think that we're going to see, you know, we're, we're going to find out more about him once the season gets here and they start playing and, and all of that, probably that third game down in Athens, uh, yeah. you're, you're going to kind of know <laughs> after that one, right. uh, what Carolina has. I mean, the first two are Eastern Illinois and then at East Carolina. So, I think the Gamecocks have enough to get by those, but uh, that Georgia game will be telling. Yeah, and I would I would just say this: um, look, there's no pressure on Shane Beamer in, in, in year one. Uh, th- this is a get things right. Uh, be great if they could get to a bowl game somehow. Uh, find a way to, to to sneak out maybe three conference wins and, and go from there. Uh, but but they're building. They're they're building something there. Uh, and I, I've said all along, I'm. I, I'm high on the hire, and I, I think it's going to take a little time, though, and I think most realistic fans in Columbia and, and Abound are realistic about that very fact. JC, this has been a lot of fun. We, we, we did it all in less than an hour. we got a lot of them. We're going to have a lot more to get in next week. As I mentioned, we got more good guests coming your way as well, uh, and we'll continue to we, – we left a lot of meat on the bone for spring football that we'll certainly get to on the next pod. So Absolutely. That, Enjoyed yeah. it. Absolutely. Stay warm in Chi-Town, and uh, we will talk again soon. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. See you next week.